0: We're really glad that you guys are here to uh, worship uh, with us and uh, continuing a message series called Everyday Missionary. And uh, if you uh, didn't get a program when you walked in, if you raise your hand, we'll make sure uh, we get one uh, to you. And on the, the front of the program is an image of two uh, shoes. And uh, the reason that is, is we're looking at this series of how God is, is sending us right here and right now. Uh, into our world. And our world is wherever we are, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplace. And he's sending us on a mission. And we launched last week talking about this fact that all of us, when you decide to follow Christ, uh, you move into a new role. And you move into this uh, role as somebody who is sent by God. And you're given a new mission in your life. And I want to kind of redefine the terms that we've talked about last week, just so we're all on the same page, because I think when you hear the word missionary, like I talked about last week, there's a lot of images or ideas that can come up into your head. Uh, most of the time, it's somebody that goes somewhere talking to someone, and it tends to be vague. And most of the time, it's just people out there that are doing things out there. Uh, but when you dig actually into the, the scriptures, uh, you find that, that a missionary is set, actually somebody who is, is sent. Be a missionary means that you're someone sent. And then the the dictionary defines it as this, a person sent on a religious mission. And so this actually could be anyone. Uh, Some people do it here and close. Some people do it in foreign countries, different cultures, different places. But to be on mission for God means that that you are just somebody who's sent by him wherever you are. And you carry that, that mission with you. In fact, that's why Jesus came. And in John 20, uh, this is what he said to his followers. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And Jesus somewhat redefined this idea of a missionary. Uh, he did not do what had been done historically in the same kind of way because he wasn't just so interested in, in a religious mission as we tend to know, he was actually interested in a relationship mission. And he wanted to come, and he came, and he met people where they were at so he could connect them back into a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And so it wasn't so much a religious mission as it was this relationship mission where he wanted to bridge the gap that existed between him and others. And as he told his disciples, I have been sent, so am I sending you, and I'm sending you with peace. And what he's defining here is people who've decided to follow Christ, if you've done that and you are a Christian, uh, you have peace in your life that didn't exist in the same way because you are connected back to your heavenly father. You've come back to your creator, the person who made you, the person who knows you, the the person that has a plan and purpose for you. And so Jesus said when when that happens, life is not perfect, but there is a peace and a well-being that you have. And so this peace that is with you, I'm sending you to other people so that they may know that same peace. This is why I came, and this is why I'm sending you. And so this is that mission that he's given us as an everyday missionary to bridge the gap that exists between us and others. But here's the reality. There is a gap that exists between us and God before we know him, and that's sin and brokenness. And then there's also a gap that exists between us Me and you and each other in our relationships. And the distance isn't measured in miles. It's not that we just live far away from each other. In fact, with new homes being built, I don't know if you've seen those tracks, some of those homes are right on top of each other. Especially in Southern California, we're not wasting any land. However, the distance between people is even greater, right? Have you ever been in your neighborhood and you wondered the last time you saw your neighbor that lives next door? You press a button, your garage opens, you press another button, it closes. You never have to see them. You have automatic sprinklers, the water goes on. You don't even have to go out there and water. So we exist in a world where because of technology, how great it is, it can actually increase the distance that we have. And we're removed from people and relating. And this is the norm. And so I want to talk about this mentality and this attitude that we have that's kind of natural for all of us. And it starts with this, that people tend to think in two categories, us and them. Now, I want you to think back to high school, because I think high school is kind of the epitome of of this ingrained thinking. And it even starts before that, in junior high and some in elementary school, but it's the idea of where you fit, where you belong, your identity, the group of people that you run with, the cliques. Remember those? I was looking at a chart of the high school uh, clicks this is this is the different categories of where you could fit in high school now this is this is newer, and so some of these categories would be like that wasn't how it was when I was a kid, but there's the great obsessed, the jocks, the preps, the band geeks, the artists, the stoners, the rock stars, the hipsters, and this chart is showing that based on which group you're in, which click you hang out with, how you view them and and it's just a chart that highlights this. But you remember, like, The Breakfast Club? Remember that movie back in the day? It was like the epitome of all the different groups coming together and figuring out how they can get out of tension together. You guys remember that? Some of you are like, what are you even talking about? They eat breakfast. Yeah, no it's, so no. it's like in the 80s, okay? Back when they, you know, VHS. But anyways, this, this uh, you know, epitomizes a lot of, like, high school. And high school can be a struggle because you're always trying to figure out, where, where do I fit? And my identity, and that means how you look and what you say and how you act, and your whole life can be measured by that. Now, as adults, uh, we tend not to come into things like this in church, like we're, we're not like, "My name's Alex, I'm a jock. It doesn't really fit in the same way, right? Uh, I'm, I'm the business guy. you know you, you don't have like your, your your hat with your name on it that's like business guy, family man, you know, but they still exist. That the distance still exists. It's just something that's not stated. Uh, and here, here's some of the, the us and them categories that we deal with today. Um, socioeconomic, where you live. Where you live, that's your us. That's your neighborhood. Where someone else lives, that's them. Now, depending on where you live, their neighborhood could be the place you want to be. Or it could be the place that you don't. But there's a distance that exists because socioeconomic, where you live. The right side or the wrong side of the tracks? Remember that phrase? Someone just came up with that. Wherever the railroad track was in each city, you had to decide, are you in the right side or the wrong side of the tracks? That's what I'm talking about. It's like where you live. Uh, Ethnicity, where you're from, who you know, your status, your career, your success, all of these in businesses and families, all of these are our identity. And we tend to think primarily in this. Me versus you us versus them. And here's what's interesting. Um, have you ever traveled like a plane recently? I think nothing kind of solidifies this more than traveling on an aircraft, right? The boarding groups. I'm, I'm My number is usually a little bit higher, but this past year I got gold status on American Airlines. I was going to wear that hat that said that this morning, but decided better of it, but I got gold status, and so I actually was able to move into um, an earlier group, and it was really exciting. <laughs> there's just something about, you know, boarding groups one, to, and I think it's boarding group four, and there's a sense in which I got called up in four, and you just kind of walk, and you're six, aren't you? You know, you just, you just feel like the status, like I like the status, but then the status expires of January this next year. But unless I pay a lot more money, I can keep that status going. And they they do this on purpose because we like the status. And then I'm, you know, I was boarding group four, but I'm still in, in economy. And then you have the curtain, you know, between you and first class. Don't you open that curtain. Don't you use their restroom. You ever noticed how early they get food and they get food and a towel? Where's my towel? I didn't pay for the towel. I don't get the towel. But, you know, like in this setting, like you, you see that. And, it, and I, I'm making light of it, but, but this is how it is in, in life. There's just the distance that exists between us and people. And oftentimes we don't even realize it. It's just the way it is. It's the way it always has been. And in religion and faith, it's actually the same. And this is what's sad. And this is something that Jesus challenged in his day. Sure, it was socioeconomic. It was ethnic. It was history. It was cultural. There were all sorts of things. But one thing he noticed again and again was that it was in matters of faith. In religious leaders, there was all sorts of this us versus them mentality. And so when Jesus came, he actually challenged that to the core. There were all sorts of walls that he kept breaking down. And then more walls were put up, and he would break those down. And more, And he would frustrate the religious leaders of the time. In fact... Two of these groups were the Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees were like the strictest followers of God's law. And they had all sorts of rules that you had to follow to be okay with God. And it wasn't just following God's commands in the Old Testament. They added more commands and more nuances and more commands and more nuances, and they wanted the people to follow that. And then the scribes, the people that would write the, the religious writings and copy down the Torah uh, these people had status because of the role that they played in preserving the heritage of God's commands. So these people were of high status. the religious, but they had these strong walls that existed between them and everyone else, the common people. And there's an instance in Luke 15 where, where Jesus challenges this, and he's hanging out with people that they would never hang out with, and this is what they say. This is the story. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Now, notice the two groups, tax collectors. The tax collectors were the worst of the day, like they were hated because they collected the taxes of the people. When you saw the tax collector coming down your little walkway on your street, you walked the other way. You didn't want an interaction because if you had an interaction, your pockets were emptied, something you owed them. So these people were, were not popular among anyone. They were kind of the, the bottom of the barrel for the role that they played in the society. And then sinners, just the general term, just bad people. So the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. The hymn the him is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And Jesus was continually doing this. Now notice, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious elite, We're noticing Jesus and they're grumbling. And they're saying, he's eating with them. He should be one of us. If he's claiming what he claims, he should be with us. We're we're the religious elite. Why is he with, with them? And Jesus is doing this on purpose. He's showing his heart. He's showing God's heart. He's showing the reason that he came. And this is really the the command for all of us as Jesus followers. Jesus followers should reject the attitude of us versus them. So it exists. It exists for all of us, the distance between us and other people. It can exist because of your experiences. It can exist because of your upbringing. It can exist for a number of reasons. But we have to admit that that exists. There's this thing that we have of where we fit, where we belong, our identity, and then there's the other people that don't fit within that. We all have that. But to be a Jesus follower means that his identity, that he calls you into, new life in him, your new identity in Christ, supersedes all of your other identities. It's this umbrella for which you live under. It defines you. It leads you forward. You are a follower of Christ. And Jesus goes and he explains why he's doing this. So the Pharisees, the scribes, they're grumbling and all of his followers are kind of watching like Is Jesus going to be really concerned with their view of him? What are they going to Is he going to notice they're watching and move and shift and and they're just watching. How is Jesus going to react to this? The religious leaders complaining. And instead, Jesus uses this as a, an object lesson, as a prime time to teach. The heart of God. And he does so in three parables. Parables are stories that Jesus would tell most of the time to to make a point. And he's taking a a story, and as you learn the story, there's something you can learn from it that you can apply to your life. So it's not just all the time at face value. It's to make you think a little bit, to make you wonder, why would Jesus say that? And he was doing this all the time with his followers. And he tells three stories Uh, A man with 100 sheep loses one. A woman with 10 coins loses one. And then a father has two sons. One of them leaves and is lost. That's the story of the prodigal son. So this comes right after this time where he's eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. And he gives these three examples of something that is lost that everybody drops something to go and find. The one sheep left the 99 to find the one. The 10 coins left the nine to find the one, and it goes on and on all the way to that prodigal son who left, and the father would do anything to have his son come back. So Jesus is making this point that when something is lost, you drop everything to find it. Have you ever lost something that was of utmost importance to you, and you just stopped everything to find it? Uh, For me, it's usually been like kids, Can I say that? You ever lost your kid? I have, not for long, but there's been times where I've misplaced them for a little period of time. Is that safe to say? Thank you. And um, those times are just pit of your stomach, freak out time because you don't, no, and, and then there's times where, like, I'm the one that's taking care of the kids and my wife's not even there. And then I'm thinking, well, how am I going to tell her that? I don't know. One, we had three and now we have two. <laughs> that's not, you know, and, and, and so in those instances, uh, you, you drop everything. Uh, a few years ago, I was at a, a beach trip with a group of friends and a woman lost her son at the beach. And it was summer like this, hot and super crowded. And she came and said, I, I, can't, I can't find him. And everyone at that beach in that instance dropped everything we did to, to try to find her son. We're looking everywhere. We're talking to lifeguards. Lifeguards are raiding lifeguards. And everyone's looking in the water. They're looking all around all these different areas and looking. And everyone's searching. And all the fun, all the games, all stopped to find the lost child. And you know, all of us are just you know, you just feel sick in that moment. Come and find out. He was just playing in like an inconspicuous like place, sand, and just what are you guys all worked up about? <laughs> you, we're so glad you're here. Don't ever do that again. You know, and then it's it goes from like oh to we're so glad, and 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 Jesus is using these stories of you have to kind of come to grips with something that is so precious. Is is lost, and, and Jesus' point here is this is God's view of his children, of everyone that he's made. It's not just that someone is lost, it's that his kids are lost. And so us versus them. What Jesus is saying is is these these stories and these parables, the things that I'm I'm teaching you are to, to make you realize that it's not about your identity versus someone else's identity. The categories are actually lost and found. And the found are always trying to figure out how to find the people who are lost. It's the search and rescue mission to find those people who are wandering alone without a place to go. So Jesus came so we can reject that. So it begins with with identifying that this exists, the distance between people. And then we look at the example of Jesus and realize he came to break down those walls and to build bridges. And to follow Christ means you you follow in his example. But there's another step that we have to take, and and it's actually our our attitude that we have towards people. So our attitude about people reveal how we, we view them. If you want to know how you view someone, check your attitude. If somebody really bothers you and frustrates you to your core, do you, have, you know, you ever had somebody in your life that does that? They just they can get to you, and it just, oh, they just bother you so much. You ever had that? I I have. You guys are so you don't even want to admit it. It's okay. We're like we we have that. It just it gets to us. But there's something going on that's not just about that person. It's about us, too. There's something in our view of them that's a little off. Now, they, they could be frustrating, and they could be really hard to relate to. That that could be true. But our frustration and the pain that they can cause us is a lot of times because of an attitude that we have, a perspective. And so what Jesus did as well is he wanted to draw these conclusions but also get to the, the heart of What's going on inside of us? And so that's why he spoke in parables. And so we need to reject two key attitudes. The first is is grumbling. Luke 15 2, this is what the Pharisees and Scribes did. The Pharisees and Scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So they're not just saying it, but they're grumbling in a certain way. Now, you don't have to admit this, but I think we all tend to grumble and we have kind of our, our tone. Do you have a grumble tone? Some of you grumble, <mumbles> and some, you know, your grumbling could be like, well, that's great, isn't it? A little bit more sarcastic. Or some of you just, your grumbling is just quiet. How are you? I'm fine. That's your grumbling. Stone face, stone walled. And so however they grumble, they're just, oh, he's eating with sinners. He eats with them. So it's very interesting how they just... Describe in their grumbling, he's with who? Sinners. Now, here's what I know about people. I'm a sinner. I mess up all the time. Are you a sinner? Have you messed up before? Isn't that so interesting? You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We have that in common. You ever thought about that? The very thing that they were so mad about is the fact that the people are just like they are. Isn't that so interesting? The sinners. And at that moment, weren't they talking about themselves? Isn't that so fascinating? They didn't highlight anything other about the fact that they were sinners. And Jesus is, picks up on that that's why he tells the story and his point is they're lost weren't you lost they're sinners aren't you a sinner and so the very thing that was a wall in their minds was actually the thing that they had in common But they didn't look at that they, they grumbled instead and that's what grumbling does we see something that bothers us about somebody else and that's all we can see. We put lenses on, and all we see is the wrong. I don't know about you, but I can really struggle with that. If somebody's frustrating me, it's amazing at how everything they do continues to frustrate me. All I see is the frustration. And we just got the wrong glasses on. And that leads to an offense that goes even further, and that's judging and this is found in the, the story of the lost son, the prodigal child. And it's very interesting. If, if you've never read the story of the prodigal child, the son that, that was gone and then came back, uh, there's the father and his relationship to the son who left. But then there's also the son who stayed and the relationship with the father. And then the son who stayed and the relationship with the son. There's lots of, like, family dynamics. Doesn't it sound like one of your gatherings at the holidays? Like, there's all sorts of dynamics going on. And so Jesus is telling this story again to make a point. But now he wants to speak not only to grumbling, but to judging. And so the younger brother, he he felt like he's getting the, the short end of the stick here. And here's the thing as I read this, I relate to every single point that the son who stayed says. Check, check it out. This is what he says. But he answered his father. So his father's like wanting to like celebrate. Let's have a party. The lost son has come back. The lost son has returned. Let's party. Look, look, dad. These many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command yet. You never gave me a young goat. The young goat was like the celebration. Let's slaughter an animal. Let's cook it up. Let's eat it. It's gonna be this party. To us, that's like the worst party. Like, we're not usually bringing goats and slaughtering them, but in this day, this was a party. Okay, you never, you never gave me a young goat that I that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, so I now, now notice us and them. Right, it's not my brother. It's not our family. But when this son of yours. When this son of yours came who has devoured your property, not not just messed up, but destroyed, destroyed what you gave him. When this son of yours devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Saying, Dad, I have stayed by your side. I have been loyal. I have been there for you. You've given me responsibility. I've taken care of it. Yet your son, who's destroyed everything you've ever given him and made every choice that he could make, you're throwing a party. Now, let's be honest. Doesn't that make complete sense? Like, I feel like if he was in a court of law, the judge would say, you give the goat to him. (laughs) Invite his friends over. Right? Like, if we're honest this actually makes logical sense. What had happened is, is the son had drawn his own conclusions and he'd forgotten the whole key. He was found. He was there. But what is God's heart? It's for those who are what? Lost. So the son's saying, I'm found, I'm found, I'm found. What about me? And not only was it grumbling, but it was in his judgments. This is all the things that he's done wrong. And this is all the things that I've done right. And so he's he's pointing to the fact that he's good enough, that he deserves the party, and, and he's kind of aligning the strategy that should happen, that this is the way God should bless me. This is how you as my dad should take care of me. And we can all do this. We see people who are messing up, going against God's ways, and we just put them in them. They do that. They say that. They go there. Look at us, God. We're doing much better. And notice what the Father says. And this is the right attitude. Passion and mercy. Now I want to say this, because I think this applies to all of us. In our default, without God's help, and without Christ's grace, our default is to grumble and judge. It is. It's ingrained in us. Because all around we just want our goat or whatever it is, credit. Blessing. Happiness. We all want it. And when other people get it, and we don't, it bothers us. But the right response with the Lord's help is compassion and mercy. And notice what the father says. And he said to him, so the father says to the son, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. What he's saying is, if you extend yourself, to help the people who are far and who are lost. I will take care of you. I see you. I know you. I'm here for you. I'm not going to forget you. You are my son. You've always been here. And then verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, in that instance, you could imagine the brother was just faced with this decision. Do, do I let go of all the, the wrong and all the judgments and all the things that I think messed up in this situation? And what the father is saying is, is have compassion because you're brother was lost and now he is found but not only that he was dead and now he is alive and this is jesus heart for us he loves us so much that when we are lost he will do anything and he did do anything to find us he laid his life down he died so we don't have to die He took our sin and was condemned for us so we didn't have to be condemned. So in this world of people who are lost and laden by being just directionless and hopeless and by themselves, we are the people who are sent. And the perspective shifts. It's not us versus them. It's us for them. And if you replace "verses" with, for the whole perspective shifts. It's not me versus you, us versus them. It's me for you, me for them. And you find this in one of Jesus' last commands, and this is his mission, us for them. In Acts 1.8, this is what he commands us. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is one of the great commissions. The great commissions are statements and these missions that that God gave his people to make disciples, to baptize them, to be my witnesses in all the ends of the earth. And the witnesses here uh, actually comes from the, the word martyr, so when you'll be my witnesses, it's like you'll be my martyrs to the ends of the earth, and many have given their life to do that. But the literal translation of that word is, is it's the testimony. It's an evidence. You'll be my people who will show the difference that following Jesus makes in a life. You will show by the way that you live. You will show by the way that you speak. You'll show by the attitude that you have. And Jerusalem and in Judea would be more normal for us today. This is, you know, it'd be like Jesus saying, you'll, you'll reach people in the Inland Empire. You'll be my witnesses there. And we're like, okay, I can do that. I shop there. I work there, maybe, Lord willing. And then Samaria, neighboring region. There was a lot of racial tension. People had fears and they struggled to relate. People differently. So for us, it's like downtown LA. Like it's here, but it's there. And then he goes on and ends of the earth. But it, but it begins where we are. In the everyday missionary, again, it's not about our identity of where we live, what side of the tracks we're on or not, but but how can I bridge to the gap that exists between me and others. And so I want to close out with this key question, us for them. So the idea of how can I build bridges instead of walls? How can I do that? And then the second question, this is for us as a church, how can we build bridges instead of walls? The primary reason that we're doing sports camp is not just to do something fun. We're actually doing sports camp to build bridges into the lives of people. And every family that signs up and their child comes, we now have a bridge into their life. Us, for them. And as we love their kids, and as we love them, and as we show joy to them, and as we can encourage them, and as we can do a good event that blesses them. They know we're a church. They know we're followers of Christ. There's a bridge that exists. That's why we do sports camp. It's to build bridges instead of walls. So many walls exist. But God has given the mission to his church and his followers to tear down the walls and to build bridges into the lives of people. And I want to end with just some, some practical ways that, that we can do that. Uh, three areas how we can love, how we can serve, and how we can share. This isn't on the, the, the PowerPoint. This is just something I, this is actually something I just thought of this morning. This is one of those late additions. Uh, here's how you can love people practically. Now, I've said this a lot, but I, I do believe it's true. If you want to bridge the gap between you and somebody else, the best thing you can do in the beginning is to smile isn't that earth shattering do you know the bridge you know bridging starts with this a face because if i'm meeting you for the first time you've got certain walls in your mind about me and everything you're facing and then i've got certain walls in my mind about you and everything and if i go I'm just letting the drawbridge down. This castle's not fortified. I'm a nice person. If I don't smile cheesy, but just a simple smile. And I say that, and it, it, it is funny. We've lost that. We don't even look at people anymore, right? Why would I look at people when I got a phone? I got to look at there. The other day, I was like looking at my phone, and I'm walking. What am I doing? I don't mean not able to smile to people. I'm going to run into a wall. But that's the world we live. It's like we've lost. You know, I don't know the last time you actually stood in front of somebody and had a conversation eye to eye. But kind of like weird now. Wait, like are we talking right now? Do you want me to answer? This is people right now. There's just there's walls up. So smile. Another thing is once you, you know, you don't want to smile for too long and not say anything. Because then it's awkward. So again, there's, there's walls. The smile lowers the drawbridge. Ask a question. Ask a question. How are you? And what I'm doing is I'm, just, I'm actually waiting for them to answer. But even that, isn't it like, okay, I'm going to ask you how you're doing. You're going to say, Fine. And then I'm going to say, good. And then I'm going to walk away, and you're going to walk away. Even that, like, it it can be insincere. So how are you doing? Fine. How was your week? Fine. Oh, man, i got to dig into my repertoire of questions. But that's how it can be. What you're doing is saying, I I care about you. The reason I care about you is, one, I'm smiling. Two, I'm asking questions. And then when you talk to me, I'm going to listen. Have you ever asked somebody, fine? and then you think they ask you back how you're doing, and you're like, fine. Oh, wait, they didn't ask me yet. You ever done that? It's super awkward. You don't have to, we're trained. How are you doing? Fine, good, I'm good. You good? Oh, good. But just, how are you doing? How was your week? Anything new in your life? Just ask questions. Smile. Care about them. Next time you see them, smile. Check back on the very thing that they mentioned to you. The reason I say this, you have to be somebody as a Christ follower who takes initiative with others. We live in a world where everybody wants people to take initiative with them. Peace I give to you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The initiative and the permission has been given to you through Jesus Christ. He has sent us. You don't need to wait. Take the initiative. So that's loving people practically. Uh, The second is serving, serving people practically. We live in a time, too, where nobody wants people to help them a lot of times because everyone's so concerned that people are going to owe anyone anything, and everyone's just self-sufficient, independent, by themselves. But just look for an opening where you can serve. And you don't need to get credit for it. They don't need to know you do it. But if the neighbors left their trash cans out, pull them up for them. If you see something you can do to help somebody at your work, do it. What you're doing is, is that's that's part of loving. I'm building a bridge. I'm helping you with your goal. That's what serving is. I'm helping you with your goal. And the reason you do that is to show I I I actually love you because Jesus helped people with their goals. Jesus served people. He met them where they're at. And so look for opportunities to serve um another uh, kind of idea of that my my notes are wigging out here eh, i got at least 30 minutes left in me so just kidding you guys freaked out for a second there um another thing is when uh you you have your your neighbors and you're you're at work or you're you're with your family and and you, you've smiled and you're maybe inter- interacting and and they mention something and this is Part of the fun that I'm seeing at this church, people ask questions like, do you need help with that? People don't like to ask for help. So you ask them if they need it. Why would we do that? Because we're the initiators. John 20, 21, we're sent with peace. And then the last is to share. Now this, this is where it gets a little real because like we can smile and we can ask questions and we can serve, but we actually need to share the hope that we have, that's what the Bible says. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared. So what that means is as people see the love and they see the way that you serve, there's something in them that God works out in their heart that they want to ask a question. Why do you, why are you so involved in your church? Why do you seem so happy? You don't seem worried about this problem that you're facing. Like, what? why is that? Why do you seem all so relaxed? And there's something that's intriguing going on, and, and God's opening that door, and that bridge is extending into the person. So when the questions come, why do you, how do you, you seem happy, you, fee, you feel that, like, not in your stomach, like, oh, man, I think they might be asking me about something that I could share about Jesus. And you feel that, and you're just like, Oh, no. You guys, don't, I know this is kind of awkward, but this is all going on inside of us. I'm just calling it as it is. You say, well, I wasn't always like this. But since I've decided to follow Jesus, my life has changed. And right when you say it, you're like, I just smile again. They're asking. They're asking. They're wondering. you do what you do and so in those moments we have it we have this thing okay god you have sent me with peace i need to bring the peace here and the reason i have the peace is because of jesus it's no other reason so that's everyday missionary i love people practically i serve people practically i share hope practically so i want to encourage you where is god sending you And who is he sending you to? And how could you love? And how could you share? And how could you serve? And that's what he wants our church to be. A group of people. And us. A community of faith. That's for all those outside of it. That's for those who are lost. And in need of being found by their heavenly father. So just... End on that. How can you build bridges instead of walls? Let's pray as the band comes up. Father, thank you for Jesus and his commitment and his example of continually putting the mission in front. He pursued sinners, the low people, the outsiders, Because you love them, and they're lost. God, we we ask that you will give us the same lenses for which we can see our world. There are so many people lost. And I I pray if there's anyone here that has not yet decided to follow you, that today they, they will decide to do that, to give their life over to you, to let you be their boss and to move from being lost to found. So God, give us the eyes to see what you're doing around us and to build bridges instead of walls. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.